less than 2% of the population actually have written goals. And as salespeople, we should absolutely have written goals. And they should be goals that are important to us, not necessarily important to the company. So my goal might include things like making my quota, but really that's that's my job. So it's not really a goal, somebody else's goal. But if I made my quota, what does that represent to me? And that might be on my list, right? So it might be paying off my mortgage or buying a cottage or having my kid go to private school or you know, whatever's important. And those are the things that you want to work towards. And when things start to get tough and you have to pick up the phone again for that call that you know is not going to go well, that's when you look at the list and go, okay, you know what? It's worth it. Hello, this is Alexander Loran, and I am the host of the Biggest Win Sales Podcast, and I'm also the founder of Zen Careers. Today is July the 5th, and we are recording from the Spreaker Studio. Jennifer King would be considered a sales transformation specialist. She brings clarity and quantification to the sales organization with proven metrics and processes. This includes people, process, culture, and infrastructure. She works with organizations that need to take their sales teams to the next level. Jennifer's biggest win was truly outstanding in dollars and impact, but the real wins are in passing this magic on and working with salespeople in coaching and mentoring and reaching their goals. An evangelist in the arena of goal setting and a life coach under Bob Proctor's Life Success Series, including Born Rich and Goal Setting, Jennifer conducts seminars and public speaking, not just in the high-tech space, but in, in how it applies to personal growth and in all aspects of life. An avid cycler and instructor with Good Life Fitness, she brings this passion into the gym teaching cycling and yoga along with the goal setting that is needed in this environment. Jennifer's passion is the heart of sales. Hello, Jennifer. Hi, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Jennifer's passion is the heart of sales. Can, can you explain that a little? So I think that with any sales rep, it really comes down to, um, it could be attitude, it could be heart, it could be um, motivation, whatever, but it's an internal driver. And sometimes people have that internal driver themselves and they don't need anything more than guidance and support and, and uh, requested input. But other times um, people don't know how to flip the switch. And so what I can do in a lot of instances is help a salesperson or any person find what it is that drives them, what motivates them. And it doesn't have to be uh, necessarily what you think. We always think salespeople are so money-oriented, but in a lot of cases, money represents freedom. So it could be your goal could be something completely different from money. So the question now becomes is how do you find what your passion is and then how do you create that to be a successful goal? Jennifer, you mentioned about uh, flipping the switch. Uh, what are some of the ways that a sales professional can, can actually learn to do that? So, well, it's um, there's a lot of different ways to do it, but in a lot of ways, you really just need someone who knows how to help um, quantify things, uh, create um, a list of goals, for example, like, like a lot of goals, like 30. So if you were to try and sit down one day and write down 30 goals, you probably have a hard time. First, like 5, 10, no problem. The second 10 little tougher. And then the third 10, you're starting to dig around. And so when you start thinking about what it is you're really striving for in your life, it really makes you start to think about what's truly important. 
And as you start to sift through, let's say, that list of 30 goals, it helps you to figure out which one becomes your focus, your number one, your E, important goal. And so having someone to either mentor with you or to help coach you to help you understand what some of those impacts and um, drivers of the goals can can do for you in keeping you really motivated on those days when you just can't face another cold call can make a huge difference in your success. So when you start to look at a territory that's in a tough place with a big number, you don't think of it in terms of my, my manager's trying to, you know, screw me. You think of it in terms of how can I make my goal with this territory, with this, this quota, even though maybe the rest of the group doesn't think it's manageable. You're not thinking in the same way. You're not thinking and adding those limitations. You're not putting those blinders on that say this, nobody's done this before. The answer is I don't really care if it's been done or not. My question is, how do I get to my goal? And my goal will get success in the goal that's in front of me as territory and quota. So it's a completely different way of looking at um, how you're going to be successful, whether it's successful in sales or successful in your goal. The two things become the same thing. I think a lot of people, they tend to stay, they shy away from goal setting because they create goals and then they fail to achieve their goals, and then they get discouraged and don't want to go back to goal setting. Do you? What do you suggest for that person? Or is there a certain method or, or something that, that the sales professional should know that will keep them motivated on their goals? You have to really want it. You have to really want it. So it shouldn't be a goal that's lightly chosen um, because those goals that are lightly chosen are easily dropped when the tough things happen, right? That when the obstacles create um, a problem, you just go, eh, don't need it that much. How many times uh, out there have people tried to quit smoking is a good example, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have to really want to quit smoking to quit smoking because it's really easy not to. So the, the question now becomes, what do you really want? Like what is truly at your core level? And it, And often people have a hard time, you know, digging in for it and saying it out loud. You know, it's kind of frightening. Um, the other times that people come up with um, really great goals, but it's really hard to quantify. So, for example, sometimes when I've worked with folks in goal setting, it comes up with, I want financial independence. I never want to have to worry about money. And the answer is, okay, but but what does that mean? So it, for some people, that means $10,000. And for some people, it means $10 million. So So let's think about what, what that goal really means to you. So what's financial independence? Quantify it a little bit. Not necessarily with dollars and cents, but so let's pretend you are now financially independent. What does that mean? What are you doing different? What what are you seeing when you look around? So close your eyes and visualize what that might look like. And as you start to do that, you start to pull the true um, concepts of what that goal means to you. For a lot of people, it's a fear. So being driven by fear is okay, right? There's no reason why you shouldn't use that to fuel the fire if that's what it takes. Um, so... For a lot of people, when they think of financial independence, it's a bit of a fear. The trouble is that a lot of folks, as you get closer and closer to whatever the goal is, you realize that there's no such thing as financial independence completely because you can always lose that money. But after a while, it becomes less of a fear because you know that you can go back and, and make that money again if you have to. Look at people like Trump, <laughs> one in lost fortunes. I mean, And he's not the only one. There's a lot of them that have done that. A lot of people have done that, right? whether it's in the stock market or in other planning. But um, the goal setting component of it is is huge because 
it's such a small percentage, like less than 2% of the population actually have written goals. And as salespeople, we should absolutely have written goals. And they should be goals that are important to us, not necessarily important to the company. So my goal might not, might, might include things like making my quota, but really that's, that's my job. So it's not really a goal, it's somebody else's goal. But if I made my quota, what does that represent to me? And that might be on my list, right? So it might be paying off my mortgage or buying a cottage or, you know, having my kid go to private school or, you know, whatever's important. And those are the things that you want to work towards. And when things start to get tough and you have to pick up the phone again for that call that you know is not going to go well, that's when you look at the listing. Oh, hey, you know what? It's worth it. And okay, so I'm a I'm a, a new sales rep, or I've been in the trenches for a little while. I've never really started goal setting. You mentioned write thirty goals down. So. What's the plan of action? Just really sit down, write them out, and then review them on a regular basis? Well, to make it really simple, what I suggest people do is to write 30 goals down. So just write them in any order, whatever, however they come to your mind. And the goals could be financial, that's very likely, but it could also be goals that are physical. So it could be, again, your gym goals, for example. It could be spiritual. It could be relationships. It could be anything, really. It doesn't have to be money. Um, so when you think about those goals, it makes it a little easier to get to 30, but really push yourself and find 30 goals. Once you've got that list, then start to go through the goals and put them in order. So maybe just walk through them and say, um, you know, this is an A, B or C goal. So A, A, B, C, whatever it comes out to. So now you've got three groups of 10 and then out of those groups of 10, go to your goals again and go, okay, let's number them one to 10. So now you've kind of got a, like a list of how important they are. They don't have to make sense. They only have to make sense to you. They don't, you don't have to justify them to anybody. But then you really come up with your one goal, your primary goal. And that's where you want to spend the majority of your attention. But sometimes that goal can be so big and so scary that you, you sort of need these, these chunks along the way to show that you're still moving forward in the goal. So if your goal, for example, is to make $5 million, you're probably not going to do that in a year. Maybe. I mean, it depends on what you do. Uh, that'd be great. But for a lot of folks, it's going to be a longer term goal. And so now you look at that goal and you think, okay, well, how much time? Right? How much time? So how long do you give yourself? You need a date. You got to pick a date. Otherwise, it's a moving target. So let's give yourself, I don't know, let's say two years. People always want to give themselves more time than they really should. So don't, don't take a five-year goal. Look at it. Like say, okay, I'm going to make $5 million in two years. And everybody will go, oh, my God, like, that's impossible. How can I do it? The answer is you don't need to know how. It doesn't matter. You need to just set your sights on the goal and start to work on it. And and before you know it, things start to change. You talk to people about the goal. You start to, you know, again, work with your mentor with the goal, whether it's your manager or somebody else in the organization. And you just start to work towards it. And, and then, you know what, if that date comes and you haven't hit your goal yet, it's a great time to reflect. But you just change the date. You just got the date wrong. You know, the, the difficulty with goals that we create like this is there's no known gestation period for a goal, right? So, like, if you talk to a farmer, he can tell you exactly how long it takes for a seed of corn to germinate and create a plant and, and be something you can eat. We've got that down to a science. But when you think about planting a goal uh, in a dream or however you want to think of a goal, like you're putting mental energy behind it, we don't really know how long some of these things take. So we pick a goal. And if we miss the date, you know, we just pick another date and keep going. 
And at some point, you'll go back. I've done this a few times now in my life, which I find really surprising even still. You go back and you find your old list, you know, from from way back. I think the first time I did this was in 1988, and I went back through that list a couple of years later. I couldn't believe it. I had every single one of those goals done. Awesome. Awesome. And the worst part is now you have to go back and do it again. (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, I've been, I've been, um, pretty good at goal setting for the past year, year and a half. And when I, when I review my binder of all my goals, like I, I know exactly where all my time has been. You know, I've actually, I have it all written down. And it, it feels really good. You get this real sense of accomplishment that you've actually moved forward with what you wanted to do with your life. It is amazing. I find that when you are really clear that your goals are things that you want and not things that you need, it makes a big difference on on how you might um, how you might manage something. So, for example, a territory is a great example. Salespeople um, in a company, any company you look at that's got more than like ten salespeople. There's always this one rep who doesn't matter what happens from one year to the next. He always beats everybody, right? He's always really good. Even on a secondary year, he's still like in the top two or three, right? And you, and you can't figure out why. Like he doesn't seem to do anything different. You know, he doesn't seem to work a lot harder, right? So you always wonder how come that person gets there. And the, the, one of the keys usually is it's the way that they think. And, you know, attitude we talk a lot about in whether it's in sales or any job, but your attitude has such a huge impact on how you work and how you think and what kind of things you deliver on. That if you feel always that you're working towards your goal, even when you're working to other people's goals too, right, then your attitude towards how you do things or what you do or staying that extra hour or sacrificing something else you suddenly don't see it as a huge problem. Like it just becomes part of your natural state because it's something you're doing for yourself. So it changes the way that you consider your job. But anybody who's had a job where they're truly passionate about it, it, you know that it's so much more fun every day than it is if you go to a job that you just slogging it out. Like, you know, you hear so many folks that go and they work at, like I always think of it as like there's a factory not too far from here that's a, butchering of pigs right horrible but they make a ton of money that's what you hear from the people that work there oh you know i make 22 dollars an hour i'm like wow like you couldn't pay me enough to do that job so i always think well you know how is it that someone can think that that's a great job that they loathe every single day yet someone else can go out and do a job that they absolutely love and make so much more money at it at the same time and again a lot of it is to do with perspective right so you need to change the perspective on what you're doing so picking up a phone call to make yet another what could be you know, not such a fun experience in prospecting or cold calling, it suddenly becomes a numbers game because you know out of one out of every 10 calls, you're probably going to get something. Mm-hmm. So now you look at it from a different perspective. And that's the difference in a lot of cases for those really successful folks. It's the way that they look at things. Yeah. I love it. So attitude and some passion. How about rejection and, and, and failure? Like how would... What do you what what have you told members of your team about failure and rejection? Well, you know, so the two aren't necessarily the same thing, but typically your deal doesn't start happening until someone says no. Hmm. Right? So so when you think in a lot of cases with selling today, it's it's and I was selling mostly in high tech, but it's not limited to that. But it's so complicated now. Right? It's so it's not an easy you can't you don't usually go out and buy the guy lunch and then he you know signs your contract. 
it's a big committee with 20 different people involved. Half the time, the people that are in the committee don't really have the power to say yes. You know, so, so the answer of no, at least, like, at least you're not going to waste my time. So if the answer truly is no, I'm not going to do this good. I'll move on. And the biggest problem you have with most folks in, in a sales environment specifically is you, you make such a great impact on the people that you're dealing with that they, they don't want to say no. They feel bad. They don't want to tell you. So they, they do what I describe when I'm working with um, new salespeople. I, co- I think of it as throwing the ball. So imagine like your new really anxious sales rep, your person that's just dying to get that first sale and willing to do anything, right? And they've really worked the deal. And the customer feels so bad because they, they just they don't think that it's going to go this guy's way. But they, nobody really wants to say no. So they say to him, well, you know, can you get me a better price? And I think of that as there's a puppy. This is your sales rep, you know, really anxious to go. Right? And this customer grabs the ball and throws it across the field. Well, that rap goes, wow, great, chases the ball, grabs it. Okay, comes back. Okay, I can get you a 20% discount. I mean, how, how often have we heard this one? And the customer goes, eh, well, you know, if only it had red buttons. Well, let me see what we can do. So there's another ball. Boom. So the sales rope goes off and talks to development, whoever. Can we make it this, the buttons red? Yeah, sure, we can do that. Okay, great. Back to go. And this can go on. Literally for months, for months. Hmm. And so, so rejection and saying no, sometimes you, you go back to the customer and go, look, if you, we aren't moving ahead. Don't do me any favors. Just tell me we're not moving ahead. And often if the customer has uh, an issue at that point, whether they just aren't in control of the deal or, or something like they really, they, the answer is not really no, but it's not yes either. They'll hmm. usually tell you why they're stalling. So it's always a good thing. I would rather get a no than a maybe any day. <laughs> My guess is great. No is better than, you know, than, than I don't know or I'm not sure or maybe. Right. So, so rejection is not a bad thing. I, you know, I think that when you, if you're in an inside sales environment where you do go through like a high volume of calls and you've got, um, a lot of cold calling going on, it, it's part of the deal. Like that's what they pay you the big bucks for. Right. It is tough. Yeah. Um, but having said that, it's just another way to practice a different approach, right? So you think about um, the in marketing, you've got your email subject lines, which ones create the opens and which ones don't. It's the same idea. So you just get up with a new opening line. How do you connect with that person so that you are touching something that resonates with them? But, it, you know, really the numbers game is there in sales. You, and most companies know their metrics. For every 10 calls, you get one. Every 20 calls, every 50 calls. So you just have to be prepared to get through your 50 to get your one. Yeah. Well, one final question, just to go back with the, with the goal setting. Uh, having a mentor or having a coach, do you, do you feel that that will allow or help someone achieve their goals quicker? Oh, well, always. Uh, like very rarely do you achieve your goals all by yourself, right? So whether it's your manager or someone else within um, within your sphere of influence, you, you definitely want someone there to help help buoy up when things are going rough. Um, but also, the more people that know about your goal and know that you're trying to reach a goal, um, the more likely you are to come across people that can help you get there. So so we've used money as a primary goal, um, but and, and it often is. But for some people, you know, when you think about um, the goals that are underneath that top goal, some of them can be um, kind of scary. So, you know, for example, in my world, I even though I sold and worked in high tech, I also was working in a gym environment. So lots of times people's goals were to become an instructor. And to become an instructor, it doesn't sound like a big deal. But for a lot of people, it's a physical challenge. 
right? It's also now they're in front of a group of people. So they, if they have a fear of speaking in front of groups, like there's a lot of different things people have to get through to go there. So if you have someone who can help show you the way and help to ease you in and introduce you to people to get you the role once you're there, it sure paves the, the way, right? To be able to get there rather than trying to do it all by yourself. And that's a really simple um, way of doing it. But oftentimes when I go through goal setting programs with my salespeople, the first thing that comes up is, again, helping them to, to, to really quantify the goal in their mind. Not because they need to justify it, but so that they need to understand why it's important. So for some, if they want it to be something, let's, let's say it is something like a, you know, um, a MMA fighter or something that like is really off the beaten path of a sales rep list, right? You kind of go, wow, okay, this is interesting. Um, it doesn't mean that it's not a valid goal. I and mean, frankly, it's not me to question it. But now you have to go, okay, well, why aren't you doing this now? Like, what's stopping you? Well, like, what, why wouldn't you just go and be an MMA fighter? And the answer probably is money, right? You know, I got four kids and a mortgage. So, it, okay, so your goal is to be able to not have to work during the day doing this and go and pursue that. As a manager, not, not a great place for me, but still, I'd rather support him in the goal and get him really successful and making big money and then go chase your dream. Just because your goal doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to be together forever, it doesn't matter, right? I can still support you in something that's outside of, of our our world. So for folks, when I was working in, um, uh, in Purolator, there were a couple of folks that were looking at things really outside of, of staying in sales. They wanted to, it was a means to an end, right? So you can do really well with those to be encouraging. And a lot of the times people don't even realize that their manager would support them in something like that. So, so I, I really like to think of a goal for me as a manager as that's the switch for my rep. That's what's going to make him get up early. That's when I call him at 8 o'clock in the morning and he's ready because or she's ready because the, the goal is more important to them than it is to me. Mm, wonderful. And you, you did mention, like you said, what's going to stop you. When you're creating your goals, when you're sitting down, you're coming up with your goals, do you consider that at all, like the obstacles? Well, sometimes. I mean, not so much from a true... You know, um, like not not saying like how are you? Why is that going to stop you from getting to the goal that we just picked? But why? What's stopping you today? Like what? Like if this is so important to you, if I want to, I often use the term rodeo clown. So if you want to be a rodeo clown, why why aren't you today? Like what's stopping you? And, and for a lot of folks, uh, there was one particular person they didn't want to be a rodeo clown. But I actually challenged them a long way into the program, and I said to him, "What's stopping you?" And he goes, "I'm just scared." And I said, well, you know, and that's, that's, I understand that, but now your goal is really more to get over the fear. So what's going to help you get over the fear? And he goes, I think I just have to do it. And when, you know, the guy quit his job and he went off and started his own business. (laughs) And I, like, I have to admit that was a single time, but, uh, and my employer wasn't really thrilled at that because he was actually a really good employee. But, (laughs) but, uh, but really, yeah, he sends me a Christmas card most years saying, like, thanks so much. I never would have done this if someone hadn't pushed me. So, so again, like it can really, um, sometimes you just need the challenge of like, and a few times people have said, you know, I have on the list, like I, I really want a dog. And my question is, what's stopping you from having a dog now? Yeah. And they've gone, well, you know, really nothing. I <laughs> just never really thought about it. I'm like, well, go get it, dog. You know, and so sometimes when you think about stuff like that and someone challenges you a little bit, you start realizing I'm stopping my own self from these goals. Because of something that, that I, in, you know, is blocking me that I just need someone to help push out of my way. Sometimes they're truly real. Like I don't live in a place where I can accommodate a dog. So the goal now becomes let's get into a house, right? 
So, so they can be real in that way, in which case, okay, I understand why you don't have a dog now. But, um, but again, it can be a lot of fun to go through these lists and people are often, you'd think that their goals wouldn't be as eye opening to them as when someone else sees them and reflects them back. Yeah. It sounds like uh, also like a wonderful opportunity for personal growth, because if you're going through your goals and you, if you're having some sort of mentorship or some sort of guidance or, or someone to listen, it'll give you an opportunity to really think, think about what you want out of life and, and, and just really think about your life. Well, it, it certainly challenges you. It might not necessarily drive you there in the initial run, but it, as you work through this list and as you focus on the goal over time, and that time could be a couple of years, it could be a lot longer than that, you start to really look around for your passion because now when you're goal setting, it's all about what do I want, not what do I need, right? So, yeah. so it, you really do do a little bit more um, self-analysis than you would just if you chugged along and thinks all I want to do is pay my mortgage and you know get the kids to college. You start going, well, there's more to life than that. Even if I can't have it now, at least now I'm identifying it and I'm, I'm giving voice to it. So in the shorter term, you're feeling more satisfied because oftentimes giving voice to a desire can be not as satisfying as having the goal, but it, it at least gives you that outlet. Yeah. Right. So yeah. so a lot of the times you can think about what you'd like. You can maybe go and wrench something. So, so if one of your goals and when I was talking to someone was a boat, for example, maybe they couldn't afford to buy the boat, but maybe they could go and rent the boat. So they didn't even realize that a boat was a big deal to them. And so when they went and rented one, they went and picked something that was completely different than what they thought they wanted and found that they were able to refine their goal a little bit more by understanding that they didn't want a powerboat, they wanted a sailboat, right? And so these are the things that start to come out when you, when you challenge yourself on what you're really looking for. Wonderful. Great value, Jennifer. Really great insight on goal setting. Wonderful. And, and, the, and you're living proof. <laughs> I guess, I guess. I, I certainly, when I went to my first Bob Proctor program in 1988, I was with um, several other women that were from uh, CAA at the time. And um, all of the, th the four of us that completed the entire program, because there was somebody who didn't, who didn't resonate and they, they kind of left after the first day, but there were four of us that stuck through. All of us have done really amazingly well. And all of us have really worked hard on goal setting. And you can see that the goals have been achieved across the decades and and all of us are retired now before the age of 60. So I guess there's something to be said for that. <laughs> wow. Bob Proctor is amazing. He's amazing. I saw him for the first time a few months ago and just amazing. I mean, he's up there in age, but his vitality and his passion is unbelievable. Oh, my God. And he, actually, he's from Scarborough. He's a Canadian, too. Yeah, he travels yeah. all over the world. Yeah, quite a dynamic group. And they have a lot of um, support people around him that have got some really great storytelling abilities. So never a dull moment in that group. But really have enjoyed um, having a lot of time uh, with him over the decades. I'm a life success consultant. I've done a lot of um, bigger programs with him. And uh, he's just he never fails to amaze you when he tells his stories. He's a quite an entertainer in his own right. I'm connected with him on LinkedIn, but I highly doubt that he's on LinkedIn. It's probably someone else. Do you know? <laughs> I, don't, I wouldn't know. I don't even know if I'm connected to him, but um, you can certainly get involved with this program. So he'll answer your calls then for sure. <laughs> for sure. All right. Okay. Well, before I, I ask you about your biggest win, I'm going to give you the biggest win trivia challenge. Are you ready for this? Oh, boy. I hope so. Okay, I've, 
I'm going to give you 60 seconds to answer 20, 10 questions. If you're stuck, just say pass and I'll move on to the next question. Let's see how many you can answer correctly. The score to beat is seven. I'm putting 60 seconds on the clock. The clock will begin after I ask you the first question. Are you ready? Oh boy. Okay. I'm excited. Let's go. True or false? You are allowed to sell your soul on eBay. False. What does a milliner make and sell? A hat. In 1934, the Girl Scouts of Greater Philadelphia became the first to sell commercially baked cookies. How much did each box cost? Nine or 23 cents? 23. True or false? George Clooney used to sell insurance. True. The film Glengarry Glen Ross depicts two days in the lives of four salesmen. What did they sell? Real estate. Who wrote The Greatest Salesman in the World? I can't remember. What was the first thing sold on the internet? A music CD, a domain name, or a book? A domain name? What state was sold by Spanish King Ferdinand VII to the Americans? California, Florida, or Louisiana? California. What is telephonobia? <laughs> it sounds like fear of the telephone. <laughs> I'm what? guessing it's not. <laughs> What will move you forward and closer to your goals? Visionary. Vision, vision, right. Visualizing. There we go. Visualize. <laughs> I knew I had wrong tense. Great idea. Wow. Great. I, I, I'll accept that. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Really? Oh, my God. Well, so you what are, was the fear? Fear of what? Fear of the the champion. Was that what that was? <laughs> it's it's the fear of making and receiving calls. I I gave that to you. Oh, okay, yeah, that was a bit of a gift. Okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, wow, you got you got through all ten questions. I'm sorry, I'm excited over here. And okay, so you got uh, let's see. Okay, um, Florida. Florida was sold <laughs> by uh, Spanish King Ferdinand. And um, okay. You just, you skipped the greatest salesman as Ogmandino. The first thing sold on the internet was a CD, Sting's 10 Somner's Tale. Really? Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, pretty interesting. All right. Well, thank you for playing my game. Thank you for indulging me. Oh, that was fun. All right. So it's called The Biggest Win Sales Podcast. So Jennifer, can... can can you share a little bit about your biggest win? Sure, I'd be happy to. I've had quite a few big wins, but my biggest win was when I was with Computer Associates, and it was for $32 million U.S. in brand new product. So it was, uh, it was exciting. I can't give a lot of specific details, but it was a global deal, and it was in the high-tech space. But uh, it involved a tremendous amount of people, including the um, – the CEO and the chief technology officer at CA. So it gave me some great exposure to some really big talent. But there you go with your biggest goal and your biggest win. It's never something you do by yourself. But I had technology people um, that really worked harder than me on it, to be honest, because it was really complicated stuff. And uh, it involved helicopters being flown back and forth to <laughs> Boston from New York. It was really it was really one of these things where so many people rallied around it. It was phenomenal. So at the end of the day, I was the lead um, global sales uh, person who owned the account that sold it. But realistically, it, it was sold by 10 other people as well. Um, but it was it was the biggest sale in CA's history on new product. 
um, in one one contract. So um, it was exciting stuff. Yeah, yeah. I can just imagine the energy of the office. It was. It created a whole new spinoff company for Computer Associates um, called ICANN. Um, it was right before the market crash, too, so it was kind of the timing was everything. It was when, like, the whole high-tech sector was crazy, and people were buying and selling stuff like insane people. And so there was just so much activity going on that these kinds of deals I don't think were unique, but um, they certainly were unique when you look back over you know multiple decades. Um, but the feeding frenzy that was taking place during that time in the high-tech sector and the telephony space and all of that, like, it was just... It was um, really exciting times, but uh, I have to admit, like going through that, working with CEOs of massively large companies and seeing, you know, sort of how that group of people worked and lived and made decisions was, um, it was uh, uh, beyond any expectations I had when I first started, when I, when someone handed me this ridiculous quota and this account and went, okay, good luck. <laughs> Let us know how it goes. <laughs> I was like, you know, before you know it, it was crazy. So, again, it was one of those things where, you know, I have to say, I, at CA, they were the greatest folks at challenging you. They handed you a territory that had never done particularly well or done okay, but, you know, like, the, and then a ridiculous number that went with it, and you were kind of like, okay, here we go. There was no debate or discussion. It was just off you go. And uh, and they did everything they could to help you get there. So if you found stuff that could get you to that goal, boy, you had a million people behind you, but... And that's what happened with this particular deal. It was it was just so big so quick because the top people in both organizations got involved. And I'll tell you, if there's one piece of selling advice, is get two CEOs talking to each other and you don't need salespeople for very long <laughs> to get it done. Um, but uh, but that's really how it went. It was uh, very exciting. Wow. Jennifer, it was really great to connect with you. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and knowledge how how can people connect with you? Uh, please add anything that you'd like. The, the floor is yours. Um, so if you want to reach me, the easiest way is through LinkedIn. I'm happy to help. I'm a, um, a goal coach for sure. I can do seminars and also public speaking. Um, but uh, you can also come and join me at my classes at Good Life in Burlington Mall. <laughs> so if you want to come on out and join me there, I'm there all the time. Um, but uh, really, LinkedIn's the easiest focal point. Excellent. Thanks again, Jennifer. You're welcome. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for inviting me. Well, that concludes today's episode of the Biggest Win Sales Podcast. Stay tuned for the bonus portion of the show, the podcast in the podcast, the micro podcast improv. Listener, if you'd like to connect with me, send me an email at alexander at sendcareers.ca or call my office at 647-417-0517. Have yourself a wonderful day and goodbye for now. Hello, this is Sophia Lauren and this is the Micro Podcast Improv. I wrote out a bunch of words, cut them up, and put them in a box. My dad, Alexander, and his guest will do a passion project segment on the word drawn creating a micro-podcast improv. Enjoy the show! Bye! Alrighty, Jennifer. The word is art. Are you still there?
I am still here. I, <laughs> okay, I don't know what to do with that word. Yes, I love art. Are you an artist? <laughs> yes. Well, let me let me start it off. Welcome to the Art Podcast, Art Micro Podcast. My name is Alexander, and I am joined with my fabulous co-host. Jennifer King. Jennifer King. Jennifer King, I do feel that I am a artist. I am a podcaster, and I feel that podcasting is an art form. I treat it as art. I see it as art. And, um, you know, when I'm podcasting, I, I make these poses, and I, I have, like, these artist poses. Uh, how about you? Uh, when you're doing sales or even yoga, uh, do, you, do you see that as art? Absolutely, it's art. Wait, I'm fascinated with the podcast being art, though. So where would you find your next um, artistic uh inspiration when you're doing your podcast well inspiration is all around us say for example my vision board i'm looking at my vision board and i can create a podcast about my vision board this wonderful pen i'm holding this too could be a wonderful episode of the podcast so i can mold anything i want and create it i don't know if anyone's going to listen to it but it's it's possible. Do you do you have a, a favorite piece of art in your home? Oh well, actually, yes, I do have a favorite piece of art. Would you like to know more about that? <laughs> yes. Where is it? Where is it? It's right in the front hall. It's right in the front hall. Excellent. And have you considered putting it outside? So no, I would not put it outside because I don't think it would weather very well. But I oh. like it because it inspires me. Because I can see it when I come and go from the house. And it, it makes me realize that there's things that you can um, see and touch and feel that make things real to you daily that might not be real in the real world, right? So multi-dimensions don't necessarily walk the earth. Yeah. Hey, you know, hard question for you. Now, I see that that piece of art is working for you. But is art overrated? Well, I think it's undefined, right? So it depends on what is art. So you can go down a pretty interesting hole there. But I have some cat dishes that I use that I think in, in when we were in camp, we probably would have made ashtrays. Now they made like cat food dishes from art that was uh, created on a pottery wheel by my children. So I consider that probably important art. And, and I think there's a place for that in the world. So certainly the cats enjoy it every day. <laughs> so <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. You know, it can be useful art. Do you, now, do, do you think that, that cats have art? Well, I don't know. My cats have art. I can't speak for everybody. But certainly, if you give them a nice, tidy bed that's got the, the top blanket all pulled tight, they create their own set of art by ripping it apart and crawling inside <laughs> of it. I'd be lumpy beds all over the house from the cats being under there. But absolutely, they do. And I have both of my cats do yoga with me. I have Ooh. my special yoga cat, Linus. Linus is... Yep, very good at at, uh, at yoga. Uh, cats are not all that useful in practicing yoga with them. They're not good uh, sharers of space. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll, you're, you're going to have to Instagram some uh, yoga <laughs> cat poses. Um, <laughs> this has been a, a wonderful first edition of the Art Podcast. What do you think we should talk about in episode number two? Well, I think maybe you want to think of, if you're going to stick with it in art, maybe think of it art from your ears. So how, how do you play? Is that music? Is it listening to a certain wattage? So there's a big thing about that in yoga, right? Well, you can listen to certain things in certain megahertz to affect your chakras. So you could have a 
field day with that on your next improv. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Well, this has been great. Thanks for joining me. Why don't you end the micro podcast and have the final word? The final word on art? Yes. Everyone should have some. <laughs>